Amen. Appreciate that, ladies. A tremendous song this evening. Thanks, fellas, for the help there. Um, we're going to continue uh, where we left off last uh, Sunday night as we uh, consider revival and uh, in our, pre- our preparation for it, having a prepared heart. We uh, are in Isaiah chapter 57, Isaiah chapter 57, and uh, we uh, just a, a week away. And I trust that it is something that is uh, weighing heavy on your mind, this idea of revival and, uh, and being prepared for it. I trust it's something that you're working on in your life and, and uh, looking forward to, that you're, uh, you're taking steps to be ready to receive what the Lord has in store for us. In Isaiah chapter 57, last week we uh, addressed a, a couple issues here. First of all, we addressed the idea that we must have a, a proper perspective of who our Savior is. And uh, we saw there that He was the high and lofty one, that He was above all, it is above all, that He's just and righteous, that He is the, the final authority and that we have direct access to Him. In Him we have forgiveness of sins and, and, and He is always a righteous judge. We saw that He, in, he inhabiteth eternity, uh, that concept that He is... Uh, has only ever known immortality. And, uh, and that's such an amazing thing that uh, when we end our lives, all we know is this mortality, but that's really just the beginning of things. And God has always been there. That's where he's always dwelled. And uh, that's an amazing thing to understand about his personality and who he is. And that in that immortality, he has been immutable, never changing. He's always right and uh, never wrong. And uh, for all eternity, from the very beginning of existence, however that happened or was formed, or he, they were never for him, it, he just always was. And, uh, and from that very point, and, uh, for all time, he will always be uh, never changing. That means attributes like faithfulness and uh, graciousness and long-suffering and merciful are things that never change about who our God is. We saw also that his name is Holy. It's certainly a proper name, but it is also a description of his character. And, uh, and that uh, he is holy and that he calls us to be holy as he is holy. He is the very definition of perfection and calls us to follow after his likeness. And so uh, as we adjust our perspective of who he is, that, that starts to help us understand who we are. That uh, we have some serious flaws and that uh, we don't match up for, for we all fall short of the glory of God. And, and that helps us to, to remain humble. It, it puts us in the proper position. And that was the second thing that we learned last week, that we have a, a proper position to make petitions to the Lord. And uh, we saw in Isaiah chapter 57 uh, that, that he is, he's looking to revive people who are of a broken and contrite heart and spirit. That there's a a certain position that we need to be in before we can come before the Lord. And even as we examined that Hebrides revival, we looked at that young deacon who uh, was was saying, we're we're praying, it feels though we're just praying in vain, that nothing is being accomplished. And until he started to read that passage in uh, Psalms chapter 24, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive righteousness. So it's the one with the clean hands and the pure heart. And and, and so uh, we understand that if we're going to come before the Lord, that we have to come before Him humbly and understanding those attributes that we just described and that He is the the picture of holiness. If we're going to have petitions that are answered, uh, it must be done humbly. 
The question must always linger in our minds and in our hearts. God, are my hands clean? God, is my heart pure? For this is the avenue by which we uh, have the ability to fellowship and communicate with the Lord. And so this evening, as we've set those first two guidestones uh, on this path towards revival, uh, we'll continue uh, looking through the verse here in Isaiah chapter 57 and getting a better understanding, understanding uh, of how we too can uh, experience revival in our hearts and our lives. And before we begin this evening, uh, let's once again have a word of prayer. Lord, we're before your throne once again with great petition. We are on the cuspus of meetings that have been scheduled for the purpose of something miraculous taking place in our hearts and our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be prepared for it. Lord, may we be, as we've already examined, in a right position, Lord, before you. May we understand who you are and not compare ourselves amongst ourselves, becoming fools, but Lord, may we examine and cross-examine ourselves against your character. Lord, we are desirous that you would do something great in our midst. And so as we've gathered together this evening, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our lives. May your Holy Spirit descend in great power as a mighty rushing wind. And may you change us into the image of your Son. Lord, revive us once again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, the Bible says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. We see the existence of where Jesus Christ is, that he is dwelling in that high and holy place. And, and he says, I'm dwelling here with him uh, that is also of a contrite and humble spirit. I'm here because I want to meet with a, a certain type of individual, God is saying. I want to meet with the individual who is of a contrite and humble spirit. I dwell here. This is where I'm always at. And even as we uh, looked uh, previously, the promise that was made to Solomon where he said, this will be my, uh, my house of sacrifice. I'll be here for you, Solomon, and, and this is where I'll dwell. And if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. And here, once again, in the same heart, the Lord is expressing that I dwell in that high and holy place and I'm, I'm waiting to, to fellowship, to experience a, a relationship with those who would be of a contrite and humble spirit. And the, the reason that I want to dwell in this place and fellowship with those type of people is so that I can revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. He's in a very specific place and he, he's got a very specific purpose to be there. To bring revival in the hearts of those who are humble and contrite. This is, without a doubt, the will of God. It is the will of God that he would be able to fellowship with us and to bring revival in our hearts and in our lives. We see here that he is dwelling in this place and that he is waiting to revive our spirits and our hearts. He is so sincere in this aspect of his will that he is willing to contend with us regarding this. 
You see, in the very next verse, verse number 16, says, For I will not contend forever. You see, in context of this passage, um, the Lord is, is trying to bring His people back to Him. If you look earlier in the passage, verse number 5, if we begin there, read a few verses, He's describing the condition of His people's hearts. He says, You're inflaming yourselves with idols under every green tree. They have, they have uh, once again turned to idolatry, his people have. You're slaying children in the valleys under the cliffs of the rocks. They've, they've stooped to offering their babies to, to idols. Verse number six, among the smooth stones of the stream is thy portion. They are thy lot. Even to them hast thou poured a drink offering. Thou hast offered a meat offering. You're, you're, you're offering all these things. You're, 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 you're before uh, the, the streams and you're pouring out the drink offering and you're, you're offering up the meat sacrifice. And he asked them a question in verse number six there. He says, should I receive comfort in these? Do you really think this is what pleases me? Verse number 7, it says, Upon a lofty and high mountain hast thou set thy bed, even uh, thither wentest thou up to offer sacrifice. Behind the doors also, and the posts hast thou set up thy remembrance, for thou hast discovered thyself to another than me. You've given yourself over to someone else. You've you've decided that uh, serving me is not good enough for you. That you want to go your own direction and you've turned yourself over to somebody else than me. Thou art gone up, and we continue in verse number 9. Thou art gone up, thou hast enlarged thy bed and made thee a covenant with, with them. Thou lovest their bed where thou sawest it. And thou wentest to the king with ointment and didst, didst uh, increase thy perfumes. And didst send thy, the, uh, thy messenger far off and didst debase thyself even unto hell. Thou art wearied in the greatness of thy way. You're so sincere in what you're doing. You're getting the perfumes, you're bringing them in, you're offering before sacrifices, you're offering your children and pouring out the drink and offering up a meat sacrifice, you're bringing in perfumes and ointments and performing all kinds of seances, you're, you're, you're trying to do everything and, and, and the Bible says that, uh, that thou art wearied in the greatness of thy way. You, you see that it's not accomplishing anything but you're, you're still committed to it, you're still sincere in it brings us back to that question, should I receive comfort in these? Well, certainly he doesn't, because we see here in the end of verse number 10, there is no hope. Thou hast found the life of thine hand, therefore thou wast not grieved. You're just content in where you are, not willing to change, not willing to come back to me. Verse number 11, of whom hast thou been afraid or feared? That thou hast lied and hast not remembered me, nor laid it to thy heart. How can you deceive yourself? Why why do you continue to ignore my voice? And why are you continuing to go your own direction? Uh, He's contending with his people. All of these verses are, are where it leads us up to verse number 15, where he says, hey, but I'm still here and I'm, I'm ready and, and I'm the, the high and lofty one and I'm willing to revive those who have a contrite and broken heart. You see, the, the people, the, the, uh, the children of Israel had developed their own 
No, program. <laughs> they had decided to go their own way. Whereas God had a will and a plan for their lives, uh, they said, you know what, we're, we're going to go this direction, we're going to offer up to these idols. And, and they committed themselves to it, and they were sincere in it. But it wasn't God's plan for their life. It wasn't what He willed for them to do. And you can be sincere, and I can be sincere in, in our desire for great things to happen, and we can be committed to it, and we can uh, sacrifice for it. But if it's not according to God's will, we're putting ourselves in a, a situation for failure. If we're going to see revival, thirdly this evening, we must have a proper perception of God's will. Perception is a sense that we utilize. It's part of the faculty of the human body. Perception. It's aided by our experiences. You look at this, this table up here, you, this, this pulpit, and you see the grain in this wood, and you see the texture, and your perception is that this is a hard object. You've had interaction with it before, and, and, and you've, you've uh, been around it before. You've had, you've had the opportunity to touch it and, 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 and have some experience with it. And so now your perception is aided so that you understand that this is a hard object. Uh, you're not going to intentionally uh, come up here and, and, and uh, bash your head on it. You know that's not going to end well. I mean, there might be some people who would do that, but there's mental disorders that are accompanying that decision. <clears throat> your perception is that it's a hard object and you could be in denial. You can see it and you can understand it and you can even acknowledge that it's a hard object, that it's wood and if I hit my head against it, it will hurt, but you can still live in opposition even to your perception, what you understand. And we too uh, can act very similarly in our spiritual lives as far as God's will is concerned. Our perception of it can get misconstrued. What does God want to do in my life and, and, and how does He want to work? And specifically as we address the idea of revival and, and coming to Him in our own terms for revival. See, in our, in our passage in Isaiah chapter 57, he says, hey, I've got a, a very strict set of rules. If I'm going to bring revival in your heart, here's my will for you, that you have a broken and contrite spirit, a broken and contrite heart. This is what I want from you. If, if you're going to see what you're seeking for, if you're going to get the desire of your heart, you have to come to me according to my will. You can't come to me on your own terms. It's not going to be accomplished in, in what you want it, how you want it to be, in the scenario by which you want it to come. And these children of Israel in Isaiah chapter 57 were uh, trying to, to build a relationship with a God who didn't exist on their own terms. And he's saying, hey, I'm contending with you. Do it my way. If you want, it, you want this to happen, do it my way. And so his will for us in order to see revival is that we would have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. To be broken is to be rent asunder, to be torn up. To be contrite is to be worn out or bruised 
as in being deeply affected with grief and sorrow, having offended God. In Psalm chapter 51, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, that will not despise. This is the will of God for us in order to get to the end result here. If we want to have revival, if we want to experience revival in our lives, we must come to Him with a broken and contrite heart. See, the problem with us is that we can sincerely desire a good thing and have a wrong spirit about it. We can say... Oh yeah, I want revival. Yeah, I want revival. Yeah, that's important to me. I want it, I want it, I want it. Oh Lord, send revival. And We can be so sincere about it, but our spirit by which we're pursuing after it can be wrong. And that's why he says your spirit and your heart, it's, it's got to be broken before me. Would you turn over to Luke uh, chapter number 9? We see an example of uh, a group of people who had the wrong spirit after the right thing. Luke chapter 9, verse number 51. James and John are with Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse number 51. And it says, And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's preparing to be offered up as a sacrifice. And sent messengers before his face that they went and entered into the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. So he's going to travel to Jerusalem and he sends messengers ahead to get a, a place to rest that evening. Uh, he's going to stop in the city of Samarita, uh, Samaria on his way. And the Bible says in verse number 53, and they did not receive him. They didn't want anything to do with him. And it says there, because his face was though as he would go to Jerusalem. And the Bible says in verse number 54, And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. I mean, here we see James and John and and, and they're so sincere in serving the Lord. I mean, there's some great qualities here. They're, they're, they're with him and, 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 and somebody disrespects the Lord. And they're not even going to let him come into their city. Nobody is going to accept him. They've refused him accommodation. And, and James and John are, are angry about this. How dare you refuse our master? And they turn and they express great confidence in the Lord. Lord, do you, do you want us to, to call down some fire? Let me burn those jokers up. How dare they? How dare they refuse you? Don't they know who you are? Man, you're God. What, 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 are, what do you want us to do? Let, let, we'll do just like Elias did. We'll call down fire and we'll just burn those. We'll just burn them up. Burn them right to the ground. That's what they deserve. They just toast. Heaps of ashes. That's what we want. But the Lord rebuked them, said, you know not of what spirit you are. 
See, you're coming to me and you're, you're asking for something and you've got great confidence in me. You're expressing confidence in what I can perform through you. You're, you're, you're asking, hey, do you want us to call down fire? A man? Just a mere man calling down fire? What, what confidence they're expressing in God. But you're coming to me in the wrong spirit. You're coming after this thing with the wrong attitude. Your, your spirit and your heart are in the wrong place. That's, that's not a humble and broken spirit. And we see there in verse number 56 of Luke chapter 9, he says, For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. What you're asking for is in complete opposition of what I'm here to accomplish. I'm not here to destroy people. I'm here to, to save them. And, and the Lord is not here to simply fight with you all the time and fight with me all the time about uh, me being right with Him. He's not here uh, to contend always with me as we saw in Isaiah. That's not His purpose. That's not what He always wants. But He's willing to contend with us. He's willing to chastise us. He's willing to correct us so that our spirit may be uh, changed and adjusted so that we are willing to follow after His will. If we're going to see revival, we've got to come to Him on His terms. Oh, I'm willing, Lord, I'm willing. I'll, I'll do whatever you want for me. Just show me from your word. And, and we're, we're wanting some great revelation, like God's going to spill out some new truth upon us and revival is just going to take place in our hearts and our lives because of some great message that was preached or some uh, great principle that was revealed uh, from God's word. But that's not the case. God can't revive a, a person who isn't uh, willing to come to Him just with a broken and contrite heart. We've got to come to Him on His terms. We're always looking for some kind of new truth. But are we willing just to be obedient to the truth that we already know? What we already know of God. It's like there's some kind of... And, and hey, I've found myself in the same position before. Like, like I'm just waiting for some kind of breakthrough to happen in my life as though it's going to come from some external source. But that's not God's will. His will is that this starts internally in me. With a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, I'm just waiting for that message. I'm just waiting for that principle. I'm just waiting for that truth. And we may be sincere in our desire, just as these disciples were sincere in their desire to serve the Lord. But their spirit was wrong. Is it possible that you're sincerely desiring something great of God but with the wrong spirit? Are you coming to Him on your terms for revival? Or are you willing to come to Him on His terms for revival? Are you willing to be torn asunder in your heart? Are you willing to be bruised and grieved desperately? Because of your heart's condition? Oh. Those are easy questions to answer verbally. But what about our heart? <laughs> right. 
How much does sin offend us? How much does sin offend us? It offends God greatly. So much so that he says, hey, you've got to become broken and contrite about this. I can't work in your life and your heart until you become broken and contrite about sin. About your human condition. Now we say that we are wanting revival and we understand the concept of sin being wrong and, and it offending God and we understand because we've been aligning our perspective of who He is and how amazing our God is, but does sin offend you? Does it offend me? How much does it grieve your spirit? In my experience, uh, I can go pretty far before something really grieves me the way that it ought to. I can go too far. Often I go too far before it grieves me. If I'm going to be ready for revival in my heart and my life, if we're going to be in a position where the Lord can really uh, revive us, where He can revive the broken and the, the contrite heart, we've got to look at our sin and the condition in which we find ourselves, and we've got to be tore up about it. We've got to be bruised and tenderized. And I, I, I have sought the Lord's uh, grace in this area not to project my own failures uh, upon the congregation because I, 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 know how, uh, I know how wicked I am. And it's, it's easy for me to just throw that out there like we're all wicked and, and I don't know your heart. I don't know where you're at, but uh, what I do know is that if we collectively as a congregation are going to see revival in our hearts and our lives, we've got to start to have a contrite and a broken heart regarding sin. We've got to see how wicked it is, and it's got to start tearing us up. All the things that we participate in and the thoughts that we think. The garbage we subject ourselves to. I mean, do you examine, please, just examine yourself before the Lord. Our, our flesh is, is so wicked. And even as we saw in that Hebrides revival, that, uh, that young man and, and just the brokenness that came upon him where he said, well, what, we're praying in vain, this is, this is worthless because we're trying to go in our own terms. Lord, are my hands clean? Lord, is my heart pure? This is so much easier said than done. And I can't communicate that enough. This is an exercise in great discipline in our lives. Uh, to, to get our, our heart right before the Lord. And, and that's why these steps are so necessary. That's why it's important that we sit and we understand who He is. Because until we understand who He is, uh, we can justify away all of our sins. But when you start to sit before the high and lofty one who, who sits in the heavens, who's, whose name is holy, 
and you start to compare yourselves against Him, oh, it becomes so abundantly clear. It starts to reveal itself in your heart and your lives. And, and, and I was speaking with somebody the other day, and we were talking about uh, how it is when you come before the Lord in prayer and you start to bear your burdens before the Lord, how it's just all of a sudden you'll hit a wall if there's sin in your life. It's like, I can't continue in prayer like this. You know, it's, it's, it's fairly common and even fairly easy to read the Word of God with sin in your life. I'm not saying that it's, it's, there's not going to be conviction. Don't get me wrong, because the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. But you can, you can perform that motion time and time again with sin in your life. But you start getting desperate in prayer before the Lord with sin in your life? Oh, there's something that starts revealing it. And that's what happened in this Hebrides revival. These people, they started praying every night from 10 p.m. until 3 in the morning. And they're praying and they're praying and they're praying for two weeks in a row. The the men of the church are praying and everyone in their house, these ladies, these 80-year-old ladies, 70-80-year-old ladies, are praying in their homes for hours each night. Lord, pour out upon this desert land. We're dry and thirsty. Pour out upon us. And as they began to, began to pray, uh, what it shifted in their lives and in their hearts was a perspective about who God is and, and what He wants to do and what His will is in their lives. And, and they became, became overwhelmed. The word they use there is overwhelmed with their sin. A great consciousness of their sin. And as that awareness of their sin increased, the Lord began to work more fervently in their hearts and their lives. The first night of that revival, there was just a small crowd there as the preacher preached. He preached the message and dismissed the crowd. It's about 10.45 at night. And that same young man who had been praying for revival before and had asked the question, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? Stopped the preacher as he was about to leave and said, we can't leave, it's not over yet. God still wants to do something. And he began to pray and seek God's face again right there in the middle aisle of that church and And just a few moments later, someone knocked on the front door of the church, and as the pastor went out, he saw hundreds of people standing out front. 300 people standing out front of the church house uh, at 11 o'clock at night. Overwhelmed with the burden of their sin. Overwhelmed uh, with the wickedness in their lives. uh, Seeking for the Lord. And here they find themselves uh, back at the church house. And at midnight, once again, the preaching starts. And for two weeks, uh, uh, the revival takes place with hundreds of people. Becoming acutely aware of their sin problem. We said at one of those nights, just a few blocks from the church house during revival, there was a, a dance going on. In the middle of the dance, the music just stopped. With the musicians overwhelmed with the sin in their lives. And those participating in that dance being entertained in their flesh, overwhelmed with the sin in their lives. And a hundred people that were at that dance walked out of that dance hall and walked down to the church house, overwhelmed with the sin of their lives. 
in desperation, coming to the Lord on His terms with a broken and a contrite heart. Because of the wickedness, because of the sin that was in their lives. If, if we're going to see revival, we've got to come to Him. It's not just good enough for us to say we'll come to Him with a broken and contrite heart. We've got to be broken and contrite in our heart and our spirit. When we come to the Lord and ask for revival, but are coming to Him in our flesh, we're coming to Him the same way that the James and John did. We're coming in the wrong spirit. Are you seeking after revival in accordance to His will? As you turn to John chapter 11, in John chapter 11 we see the continuation of the story of Mary and Martha, and specifically the, the portion of the story where their brother Lazarus has died. In John chapter 11 and verse number 21, the Bible says, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know even now, whatsoever thing that will ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. I want to stop right there, and I think at this moment, Martha's pretty excited. <laughs> what? 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 I know whatever you ask is going to happen. I think right in that instance, she just expected her brother to be right there. And I could be wrong, because that's total just opinion, all right? So in my opinion. But she had a, she had a will. God, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't even have died in the first place. Why weren't you here for me? Why weren't you here for us? But God had a will as well. Jesus said unto her, verse number 25, said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? This, this always catches me off guard, her response. She saith unto him, yea, yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. That's not what he asked her. He didn't ask her if she would believe he was God. He said, do you believe that whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die? She said, yeah, I believe you're God. <laughs> See, God had a, a purpose and a plan in what he was trying to accomplish in Lazarus' life. And he had a purpose he was trying to accomplish in Martha's life as well. You see, Martha had an, a heart issue. We're aware of that. She was, she was bitter at her sister Mary for sitting at Jesus' feet, was she not? She was angry about that. And now once again, she's angry. <laughs> she's upset with the Lord. If you were just here, if you were here when I wanted you to be here, my brother would have never died. And the Lord addresses her heart here. He asks her a question. He doesn't say, what do you say about me? Because she's already expressed her verbal confidence. If, if you just speak it, then I know he could come back to life. Uh, he doesn't care about what she says. He asks her about her heart and says, do you believe that, that the person who dies, if they believe in me, they'll, they, they never die? They, they live forever? Do you believe that? Oh yeah, God, I believe you're, I believe you're God. You see what she's doing? He's trying to correct this heart attitude in her life. 
Martha, I've got a plan and I've got a purpose here. Will you just trust in me? Will you trust in what I'm trying to accomplish? Oh, I I hear you, Martha. You're expressing confidence in me. But you don't believe. You don't believe what I'm actually trying to do. I think it's very plausible that we have a tremendous amount of confidence in who God is. But we don't have the right kind of belief in what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. And that may seem kind of like an oxymoron. But it's easy for us to express our confidence and our heart not be in the right place. Our spirit not be in the right place. It's not enough to express your confidence in the Lord. You have to be submitted to his will if revival is going to take place. And submission to his will isn't just that one singular action. Submission to his will is also obedience to his word. Obedience to how he instructs us. We want to serve. We're willing to sacrifice and demonstrate great commitment. I think Martha was much like that. Was she not busy? The Bible says encumbered about. Oh, she was committed. She was sacrificial. She was a servant. But she wasn't on God's schedule. She wasn't going about it according to his will. Oh, she was sincere. But she wasn't after the will of God. Just like James and John's spirit was not after the will of God. And just like we can cry out for revival, but it not be according to the will of God. If we're going to see revival in our hearts and our lives, it must be that we come to him on his terms. In accordance to his will and obedience to his word. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse number, 50, uh, verse number 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him that is also of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Over the course of this Hebrides revival, the Lord would move in tremendous ways. Hundreds and thousands of people coming to Christ. I have a a list here of the results of this revival. There's, I mean, it's it's two it's two pages of phenomena. (laughs) Just miraculous things that the Lord performed in people's hearts and their lives. I'd encourage you to look it up. I don't, I don't take the time to go through it, but 
just the, the people that were saved and the people that were gotten right, that got right with the Lord and uh, the, the brokenness towards sin, the surrender to his will. But it happened when people developed the proper perception of what God's will for revival was. You see, they were coming to him and they were sincere in it and they were coming in prayer faithfully. But it wasn't until they became broken and contrite about their sin that the will of God was fulfilled for them and he began to work. In preparation for revival, we must have a proper perspective of who God is. We must be in a proper position to make petition for revival, but we must also have a proper perception of God's will. It will not come on our own terms. It will not come because we speak eloquently about our desire for it, sincerely about our desire for it, if we don't have a right heart towards it, in accordance to his will, broken and contrite, it will not occur. Can I challenge you as we approach this week leading up to revival to meditate upon these principles? I know in my own heart and my life... (laughs) I am so sincere about what I do. But it's not always in the right spirit. If I can get this adjusted, then I'm finally ready. I'm finally in a position where the Lord can bring revival. In my heart, Now, we're looking for a corporate and collective revival, but as we expressed last week, what does that look like? Well, it just looks like God doing on a corporate level what he's already been doing in an individual level. Are you acutely aware of the sin in your life? Are you broken and bruised about it? Are you torn about it? Does it wear you out? Where are you in opposition to God's word? Oh, yes, I'm broken about my sin. And this is, we're going to close with this. I'm broken about my sin. Oh, it, it, it hurts me so much. I'm contrite. Yes, I would say my heart is contrite. And yes, my, my spirit is broken and... and the, or not, I'm sorry, my heart is broken and my spirit is contrite. Yes, that's who I am. Let me ask you a question to challenge that. Are you in obedience to God's word? Are you in obedience to God's word? You can never be in God's will if you are not in obedience to God's word. Is there an area of your life you're violating his word? There is a great need in our country 
for a reviving of God's church. Even as the Lord rebuked James and John, he said, you're in complete opposition of what I'm here to do. I've not come to destroy. I've come to save the lost. And God needs us to get on board with His will so that He can use us the way that we ought to be used for Him, for the cause of Christ. Because our time is short, and as we heard this morning, our opportunities are limited, and they're passing us by. And He will not always contend with us. He's not always going to fight with us on this. He that hardeneth his neck shall shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. There is a believer, even I believe, that just hardens their heart towards the voice of God, and he will no longer contend with even one of his children. I mean, whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, and chasteneth, be times, repeatedly, but not forever. We need to get a proper perception of what God's will is regarding revival. And His will is that we would be of a broken and contrite heart. Would you bow with me in prayer this evening? Father, we do thank you for the opportunity tonight to be in your word. Lord, as I come before your throne tonight, Lord, would you reveal where our hearts are not pure? Lord, would you reveal to me where my heart is not pure? Lord, would would you reveal to me where my hands are not clean? Search me, O God, and try me. Know my heart, I pray. Lord, see if there be any wicked way. Lord, reveal these things to us. May you help us as a church become very desperately and acutely aware of our sin before you, knowing that we can never see revival in our hearts and our lives if if we'll not be broken and contrite. Lord, please pour out your water upon a dry and thirsty land. If you'd stand with me this evening as the Lord has spoke to your heart.